Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. 1 Samuel 21, 1-15 David went to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what have you to hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread to hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here provided the men have kept themselves from women. David replied, Indeed, women have been kept from us, as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today? So the priest gave him the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence that had, that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Now one of Saul's servants was there that day, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite, Saul's chief shepherd. David asked Ahimelech, don't you have a spear or sword here? I haven't brought my sword or any other weapon because the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There is no sword here but that one. David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sang about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. So he feigned insanity in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Achish said to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? Wow, there's a serious amount of drama there. It's incredible. Thanks so much, Rebecca. Um, I'm just going to pray before we, before we kick off. Uh, Jesus, thank you that, um, that no matter how many of God's windows that uh, each of us have smashed, that, that you, will, you, you have paid the price for us, that you have redeemed us and restored us, and you've made us new. And so, Jesus, for, for those that don't know you, I pray that, 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 that your love, your grace, and, and your desire for us would shine through today. So Father, may any words that I say that are of you, may they penetrate hearts and may they transform minds. Jesus, in your name, amen. Amen. So guys, as, as we jump into the story today, we're going to be reminded about something that either has been relevant to your life in the past or will be relevant at some stage in the future. So what, what we're going to discover is, is this, it's simple. The ways of God are most unappealing 
when we're angry, abandoned, or afraid. That's right. Such a, such a somber way to kick things off. The ways of God are most unappealing when we're angry, abandoned, or afraid. So, that, so what we're saying is that, that the ways of God are so unappealing or at least satisfying whenever we're harboring anger towards someone or something, whenever we're feeling abandoned or, or in a place of isolation perhaps, or when we're simply afraid of a scenario or an outcome. And so these three conditions have the potential to undermine the resolve of even the most dedicated and, and, and disciplined person among us. These conditions have the potential to allow us to crash through the moral and the ethical boundaries that we've set up, and, and perhaps even a number of non-negotiables that we've set up, a number of handrails that we would say we refuse to go past. But yet in moments of anger, in moments of isolation or fear, we end up panicking and making things worse. So in, in its lowest form, in its absolute lowest form, this is manifest in society's response to fear. And so you see a crazy picture here of panic buying in Dublin. And uh, for, for those of you who appreciate dad jokes, I'm not a dad yet, but I'm getting my repertoire ready. And we can see armor breading. And immediately we recognize this picture, um, not, not just the exact picture, but we, we recognize what it symbolizes, don't we? We saw the likes of this all over the media. And as crazy as Arma Breden is, this picture was not taken during the COVID crisis. You know, the COVID crisis has exposed this need uh, for control and this need for, uh, for panic buying and, and consuming and getting and gathering. This picture was actually taken during Storm Emma in March 2018. Who even remembers Storm Emma? There is 55 odd that's joined this meeting. I'd highly doubt any of us remember Storm Emma. Panic buying is a symbol of a deeper need in society, a need for control, a need for stability, and a, a need to be in the know. And so again, the ways of God are most unappealing when we're angry, abandoned, or afraid. It's possible, guys, that, that one of these three, or even a combination, are a part of your greatest regret. They've contributed to something in your past uh, that, that you struggle to let go of. They're, they're likely to contribute to a future sin as well. When we're overwhelmed with the emotions associated to, to the conditions of anger, abandonment, or fear, we're tempted to just do something, aren't we? We're tempted just to do something. Guys, maybe 2020 can be, can be summarized as a year of response. Our hands have been forced. There's things that's happened beyond our control, and we're forced into a response. We're forced into an action. I'll name a few, a, a few things, a few items and people here, and, and you'll think, yeah, we've been forced into response. George Floyd. COVID. The Irish general election, perhaps. Maybe Brexit. These, these different people or these things are forcing us into a response. So maybe 2020 is a year of response. Who knows? Who knows what it'll be remembered as? But perhaps these three emotions are or have been prevalent in your life over the past few months. We're now 13 weeks into a complete change of lifestyle and a turbulent season here in Ireland. And in the story today, we're going to see places where our lives intersect with David's. And so, so David to date, while, while we know David to be a man after God's own heart and, and the greatest king of Israel, David is also known for two colossal failures. One of these comes when he's in his 50s and one in his 20s. 
So we'll explore one of these today. We'll explore the one in his 20s. So at this stage, David is around 22 years old. And this is actually the story he's not that famous for. So following the defeat of Goliath, he's become the most famous person in all of Israel. It's incredible. He's around 15 years old and he becomes a legend. Songs are written about him. Dances are created for him. And guys, it seems like Samuel's prophecy and God's anointing in his life is beginning to take shape and bear fruit. It looks incredible. And Israel's King Saul realizes that David has so much potential. But over the last couple of years, since coming under his wing, he has now amassed so much fame and so much following. And this is causing Saul to become insanely insecure. Insanely insecure. So Saul amasses a plan to get David into his family so he can control him. And we, we read this in 1 Samuel 18. These verses, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but it departed from Saul. So he sent David away from him and he, and he gave him command over a thousand men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. So Saul said to David, here's my older daughter, Merab. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. But David said to Saul, who am I and what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So David refuses the king's offer to be the king's son-in-law. Saul continues to find ways to control David by sending him on these impossible missions. But David comes back more alive and more popular than ever before. Then, to make matters even more crazy, the story twists. David falls in love with King Saul's other daughter, Michal, Michal and becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan, the heir to the throne. And David's popularity continues to rise, as does Saul's insecurity. It's incredible. So from, from 15 onwards, when he, when he killed slain Goliath, for seven years, David is in Saul's favor and he's out of Saul's favor. He's in Saul's favor and he's out of Saul's favor. And we saw last week, David's life was under threat on more than one occasion and he finally had to make his escape as they fled to the wilderness. So here we are, all of a sudden, the promises of God, the anointing of God seem more distant than ever as David goes into exile. His life is in danger, his enemies are in pursuit, and his future hope is seemingly dashed. Guys, when we're angry, abandoned, or afraid, our natural inclination is to panic. And that's what David did. When we're angry, abandoned, or afraid, our natural inclination is to panic. And that is what David did. You see here in verses 1 to 4, the text tells us that, that David fled. He went to Nob to the, to the priest Ahimelech. And at this time in history, Israel didn't own the area around Jerusalem, meaning there was no capital city. Jerusalem wasn't the capital. The center of Jewish worship was actually where the Ark of the Covenant resided. It wasn't Jerusalem. So to keep the Ark of the Covenant safe, it would have traveled from town to town, and the tabernacle would have been erected temporarily in each town for the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, to remain in. And at this time, it was in this place called Nob. So since the ark was there, the priests were there, and David turned up before Ahimelech, the high priest at the time, 
And I'm, I'm like trembling because that David turned up in his own and David never turns up anywhere in his own. He's got his armies, he's got his men, he's, he's, he's there for battle, but he turns up in his own. It's probably dis- disheveled, he hasn't it, might be skinny looking. I would say he didn't look well. David answers Ahimelech and he lies. He actually lies. And this is one of the top 10, that's one of the 10 commandments. You shall not lie. And, the, and the, the stone tablet was actually in the Ark of the Covenant. It was there and David lied. So the presence of the original version of the Ten Commandments, they were written in the stone tablets, they were there. And David lies to Ahimelech. He lies because he was afraid. And it's funny, you know, because it became so easy because of circumstances to lie. David said, the king has sent me on a mission. No one knows about the mission. No one is to know about it. No one is to know about the mission they sent me on. And, and as for my men, I've told them to meet me at a certain place. So say nothing about it. David's afraid that if he tells the truth, Ahimelech won't, un- won't help him, won't answer him. Therefore, it makes sense to go down this path, doesn't it? It makes sense. It's perfect sense. Guys, that lie would cost not David, but actually Ahimelech and his family their lives. David's here and he's hungry and he asked for food. And the priest responds, I don't have any ordinary bread here, but I do have the consecrated bread. You're thinking, what on earth is that? Every Sabbath, the priest would, would bake fresh bread, would put it on the altar to God. Seems insane to us, seems odd to us, at least to me. But this is their way of honouring God. And they would leave it for God. They'd come back the next day. God obviously wouldn't have ate it. And it would be reserved for and given to the priests. So the priests would eat it. So Ahimelech the priest gives us consecrated bread to David. And David doesn't just lie to get to this place, but he lies in order to get fed. And you've got to wonder, what has happened to this version of David from all these years ago? The, the, the shepherd boy, the guy that killed Goliath. This was David's moment. David's, David's transported back in time. If you look at verses 7 to 9. Look at verses 7 to 9 here. It, it's, it's incredible because he asks about this sword. And it's said, now Saul, Saul, one of Saul's servants was there that day detained before the Lord. Doeg the Edomite, remember that line. Remember it. And so David asks him, like, do you have a sword or a spear here? I haven't brought one. I don't have any weapon. Because the king's mission was urgent. Another lie. And the priest replied, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, is here. It's actually wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want to take it, there's no other sword here but that one. This was David's moment. He's transported back in time to the very event that God used him to catapult him to fame. There's a wake-up call. Why am I even choosing these options? What am I doing? How did I even get to this place? This was a moment the penny should have dropped. The moment his eyes should have been opened. He asks for the sword. And the priest replied, this is a sword, a weapon of the Philistine that you killed seven years ago in the Valley of Elah. It's the only weapon here. Like, you cannot write it, guys. The day that you became the David we all know, love and fear, here is the sword. Suddenly, David is reminded of the afternoon, and, and he does the unthinkable. The shepherd boy with nothing but the sling. Armies lined up at either side in the Valley of Elah, and here comes this little shepherd boy, two nine-foot Goliath. The same guy that said, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Wow, where is that confidence? Where is that boy? I'll tell you where that confidence and where that boy is. Fear, isolation, and anger. Guys, this would be a decision that David would come to regret the rest of his life. And he says, give it to me. There is none like it. The sword that was last wielded by a warrior that was defeated by a kid. This is where our story inter intersects with, with the story of David. When we need God most, we are most often tempted to run away rather than toward. We opt for things that never worked before. We know they'll not work again. Things that lead us away from God rather than leading us to God. Things that will lead us away from God leading to regret. And it's so easy to see it in other people. We see it in other people who, who make decisions based upon fear, maybe based upon abandonment or anger. We see it playing out before us. It's so easy to see it in other people. But it's almost impossible to see it in the mirror. We've convinced ourselves that, you know, my situation's different. Our story is different. You, you don't understand. You don't understand. It's different for them. It's, it's, it's different for me. If God were with me, then this wouldn't be happening. You know, guys, it's so easy to trust God when we have nothing to trust him with and nothing to trust him for. Andy Stanley gave that incredible quote. It's so easy to trust God when we have nothing to trust him for and nothing to trust him with. We can make promises, we can make platitudes, and it's so easy, we'll say, God, I'll do this, I'll go there for you. We sing the song, Oceans, and, and, and we sing these songs, make these promises and these declarations about what we'll do for Jesus. Whenever it's so easy, and we're, we're in our Christian bubble, and we're in our huddle, when things are going great, when things are going so good, it's so easy to turn up, to serve, to sing songs, to put out the chairs in church. It's so easy to put on the face, it's so easy to come to city group. It's so easy to be present and participate, guys. But it's so much harder to trust God when nothing is going right. When things of value begin to slip away. And guys, there's things of value that have begun to slip away over the last three months for us. Many things have been, and many of us have been, have been completely thrown by this global pandemic. Hundreds of thousands of job have been put, jobs have been put in hold here in Ireland. Thousands of jobs will, will have been lost and will eventually have been lost, leaving people unemployed. Some of you won't have been able to see your parents, your grandparents, maybe it's your kids. Some of you will have missed funerals and will have missed weddings, will have had to count the cost of staying in Dublin and, and not been fit to travel. You guys, perhaps, perhaps it's cast a shadow of doubt on your plans, it disrupted your dreams. Maybe disrupted the way you thought things would pan out. And like David, these were entirely beyond your control. I get it. Like David, these came upon you unjustly and halted you right in your tracks. And halted right in your tracks what you thought actually God was doing or where he was taking you. Can I tell you today that no matter the circumstance that you are faced with right now, God was there before you. He will be there with you and he will lead you out the other side if you'll surrender to his ways. David takes Goliath's sword and he goes to the city of Gath. Guess who was from Gath? Goliath. 
David goes to the Philistines and, and he's like, I want to fight for your army. And, and, and they don't buy it any wonder because he comes here, he's David, he's the one that defeated them. He comes with the sword of Goliath, he pretends to be insane. He's foaming at the mouth. You can see it in 1 Samuel 21, it's, it's incredible. And in verse 14, the king of Gath says, look at the man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short and mad man that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Get him out of my sight. So David flees and he comes to his senses. And he comes to his senses, but the problem is that the damage has already been done. When David went to Ahimelech, somebody else was there. Doeg, the chief herdsman for King Saul. The chief herdsman for King Saul. He, he, he saw David and he overheard the conversation with Ahimelech. He got it wrong. But he said, and he saw enough to make things really bad for Ahimelech. And he went back to Saul. And he said this, Ahimelech, the, the priest of the Lord, has sided with David. What? I saw the, the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, the son of Ahihub, or Ahidub, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him, and he gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. So there's a truth there, and there's a not so truth there. Then the, then the king sent for uh, Ahimelech, son of Ahidub, and, and the men of his family who were the priests at Nob. And they all came to the king. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me? You and the son of Jesse giving him bread and the sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. What? Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David? The king's son-in-law, captain of the bodyguard and highly respected in your household. Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about the whole affair. Ahimelech pleads his innocence. But the king says, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. Paranoid, insecure, insane. Then the king ordered the guards of the side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. What the flip? They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. We'll kill your enemies. We'll kill those who rise against you, but we're not going to kill the priests of the Lord. But Doeg sees an opportunity to gain favor with King Saul, and he does not hesitate. Look at verse 18. Then king ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg, the Edomite, struck and killed them. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen he fought. You know, guys, afterwards Saul orders every man, woman, child, animal, and knob to be killed also. Verse 19. But look at verse 20. But one son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, named Abathar, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. He tells David the entire story. And David is broken. David is broken. Good verse 22. And David said to Abathar, That day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I saw, I knew that he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. I am responsible. And you might be wondering, oh, where do we go with this? How does this intersect with our lives? Church, there are times when our anger, our isolation, or our fear 
tells us something we should do. And I wonder, where is your loneliness, your anger, your fear, causing you to consider something that you would never have considered before? Maybe it's something relatively small to begin with. Maybe it's neglecting a friendship. Perhaps it's giving up on accountability. Maybe preventing yourself from being known. Perhaps during the last three months, during this COVID pandemic, you've found yourself in some habitual sin and you've no idea how you got there. You've no idea how you got there. You're three months down the line and you're thinking, wow, how did I get to this place? It could be a constant preoccupation with something new. Something not necessarily a bad thing, but something that's just consuming your thoughts constantly. You've realized that, that since lockdown, you've maybe been struggling with a new set of sin issues. Ones that you didn't anticipate. Because once all the external noise was turned down in life, it gave away to the internal noise in the hearts and in the minds, the running commentary in the mind, the lustful thoughts about the guy or the girl, perhaps the fantasies, and not just the sexual ones, but even the revenge ones, you know them? The revenge ones are the moments where, where you replay every scenario in your head, where every scenario under the sun is played out over and over, all these things chipping away at your joy and poisoning your reality. And here's the thing, guys, we, we can justify so many of these so easily. And because of what's going on in the world today, this actually becomes a live option. It becomes a viable option for us. Guys, David was 22 years old and by himself. You know, when, when it's somebody else, it becomes so clear, doesn't it? When it's someone else, it's so clear to see. But when it's you, you're an exception to the rule, aren't you? You're an exception to the rule. You say, but, but you don't understand math. But this is different. It's not, it's not fair to compare. It's, it's not fair. That's totally different. This, this, my, my case is different. I want to reiterate, the ways of God are most unappealing when we're angry, abandoned, or afraid. They're most unappealing. But I want to give you a truth. I want to give you something to hold on to. If there's something you remember today, it's this. The truth is this, is that when faced with unfavorable circumstances, unfavorable circumstances, even in poor decisions and in our sin, the counsel of the Lord can redeem and rescue you. I don't know whether you're in unfavorable circumstances. I don't know whether you're in the process of poor decision-making. I don't know if you're, in, a, you're in, the, in, the, in the pit of sin. But I'll tell you this, is that the counsel of the Lord can rescue and redeem. Years later, growing up King David would, would give this advice to boy David. Psalm 9, verse 9, The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. David would have said, Guys, I took refuge in my ability to control an outcome. I tried to control an outcome and I took refuge in my ability to do this. I took control, but the outcome was an absolute disaster. I took refuge in the wrong thing. I took refuge in my ability to control an outcome rather than in the Lord. And look at what happened. 85 priests were killed and then the entire town was wiped out. King David would give some incredible advice afterwards. And I tell you this, a thousand years later, David's most famous descendant, who was born in the city of David, would gaze into the eyes of, 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 of angry, abandoned, fearful Israelites, those feeling the oppression of the Roman Empire, those feeling the effects of century after century of exile, 
exiled through the Babylonians, the Persians, the Medes, the Greeks, and now the Romans. And he would say to a group of people these incredible words. Take a deep breath. He would say these words, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And when he says this word yoke, he's, he's not just meaning his teaching, but also his ways, his burden, his perspective, his worldview. Take on my worldview and you will find rest. Church, we have a rescuer in King Jesus, the ultimate king, the one who does not assume authority and, and live with insane insecurity and paranoia like Saul. But rather a king that calls us to run to him when we're angry, abandoned or afraid, rather than to run from him. David ran from him and he panicked and he fell into sin because of a combination of an, an unapproachable king, unfavorable circumstances and in his own poor decisions. But in Jesus we have a better king, an approachable, kind and eager to embrace us regardless of our circumstances or poor decisions, king. As I close, It'll be really easy to say, well, Matthew, uh, let, let, let's not get angry, isolated or afraid. That would solve a whole lot of problems. But the reality is we don't know what the next day holds. We don't know what lies around the corner. And like David, we might find ourselves with these overwhelming emotions through no fault of our own. But the key in all of this is what we do with these. And so maybe you're in a moment of temptation. And so in the moment of temptation, it's so easy to feed these three little monsters of anger, isolation, and fear as you fight for control of your circumstances. But know this, there will always be circumstances in your life beyond your control. And how you respond to these will shape the trajectory of your life. Jesus has already walked that path. He has won victory on that path and he has made it possible for you to walk in victory on that path. Jesus was faithful when David wasn't. And because of Jesus' ultimate victory on the cross, he equips you with power through his spirit to run to God rather than running from God in moments where we're tempted to panic and tempted to make wrong decision after wrong decision after wrong decision. Maybe you're in a pit of failure. Maybe that will resonate more, more deeply with you. Maybe you're saying, well, well, Matthew, that's all well and good for those who are tempted to panic and sin. You've given them hope. You've given them something to hold on to. But I'm submerged in sin. I'm struggling with guilt and these shames of, uh, of feeling unworthy, the, the feeling of shame for months now. I've tried to take control and all it's doing is getting worse. I want to tell you the truth that in the pit of failure, the world, the flesh, and the devil will tell you that you're not good enough, that there's no way back, that you've blown it. But I will tell you this evening that failure doesn't have to be final, and it doesn't have to be fatal. Amen. Amen. Look at these words in 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, and let these wash over you. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. Wow. Jesus offers redemption. David, a thousand years before, clung on to the grace of God in the midst of his failures. 
his poor decisions in the midst of his unfavorable circumstances, in the midst of his pandemic. And today, guys, for you and for me, the offer is no different. In times when you are not in control, will you cling to Jesus? Or will you panic and find yourself spiraling into poor decision after poor decision? Guys, we're going to sing a song now to close. But I want to tell you that if you're, if you're struggling with this or you want to reach out, and you want to chat, then please feel free, no matter who you are or where you are. I would love to connect with you and hear your story this week. Feel free to, to connect via email or, or on the chat or even send me a text or a WhatsApp. Um, I'm, I'm going to close in prayer here. Um, Jesus, thank you for your words. Thank you, Jesus, that because of you, failure doesn't have to be final or fatal. Thank you, Jesus, that, that even when, when David was unjustly being pursued, that even whenever David had also fallen into sin after panicking, that, that we, can, we can feel both the weight of persecution and sin at the same time, but thank you, Jesus, that you can take that on, that you do not abandon us because of one or the other, that you're actually present in both. I thank you, Jesus, that when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, you, Christ Jesus. You are a redeemer and you're the one that we choose to hold on to. And so like King David, may we say these words from Psalm 9 verse 9, the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. In your name, amen.